Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your goodness. I want to thank you for the anointing and the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to speak your words. And I just ask you through the duration of this message that you would be clearly understood even though you happen to be using me. And I just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. But through the balance of the message today, I really just want to touch on the difference between religion and relationship because they're not the same. The title of the message is going to be called The Story of a Father because religion will always point to God as God, but it has no ability to make him a father or to make you a child. It can make you a sinner or a servant, but never a son. I want you to read the revelation that David had. It's found in Psalms chapter 139. It's going to be verse 17 and verse 18. Listen to this revelation that David had. But even under an old covenant, David understood his covenant. That God would actually be a father unto them. He understood that God could take somebody who was nothing and make him something. Because when Samuel prophesied over David, David wasn't even invited to the party that they were going to have. His father didn't even think to invite him. And like I've said in another message, it would be like the President of the United States coming to your town because Samuel was the prophet who anointed the king, which was Saul. And if you anoint someone and call them into position, that means that your position is held higher than the person that you called in and placed there. So Samuel goes to Bethlehem to Jesse's house. And we know that he's going to anoint the next king. He tells Jesse that he's coming to his house When Samuel arrives at Bethlehem, all the elders of the city come out to meet him. And the scripture tells us that they trembled and said, do you come in peace? Because Samuel carried the presence of God on his life. So David isn't invited when Jesse makes preparations to actually host Samuel, where Samuel is going to anoint the next king. You know the story, all his sons, and he comes to the last one, and Samuel's confused because he heard from God that he was actually supposed to anoint one of Jesse's sons, but God never told him which one. Ain't that amazing? It could have been a private conversation between Samuel and David. God could have told Samuel, I want you to go to this place and you'll find this young man and he's going to be watching his father's sheep. His name's David. God didn't do that. Why? Because nobody else would have picked him. So God did something in the midst of his father and his brothers and everyone who else was in the house. The one that you didn't pick, I choose. When they were all afraid because Goliath was standing 
resisting the children of Israel when they were gathered together to fight the Philistines, when all of Israel was afraid, God raised up a savior for Israel, a deliverer for Israel. It was that little boy that nobody invited that God called a king. That little boy, though he had no idea up until that point, he had never met Saul. That little boy said, I will go and I will slay this uncircumcised Philistine. They bring him in front of Saul and Saul looks at him and thinks, if we send you out there, we're just sending you to die. <laughs> and David's response to Saul has no fear attached to it. He said, when I was watching my father's sheep, there came in a lion and took one of them. He said, I grabbed him by the beard and smote him and killed him. He said, a bear tried to do the same thing and I did the same thing to it. He said, the same way when one of the sheep tried to be took that were under my care, and God gave me victory over the lion and the bear, God will give me victory over this Philistine as well. Because the testimony that David had when he was faithful watching his father's sheep, because of that testimony and his boldness and no fear and his eyes are in his heart, King Saul actually sent him out to fight Goliath. And you know what, David, when he went out there, he said, I come against you in the name of the God of Israel covenant. He understood his covenant. He was nobody. They celebrated him that day. He was supposed to receive one of Saul's daughters to marry and taxes were supposed to be completely erased from all his family to where his family never had to pay taxes. No daughter was given him. Far as we know, Jesse was still paying taxes. Because of David's great victory over Goliath and they seen that the hand of the Lord was upon him for battle, he became a general over the armies of Saul insomuch that the women would come out singing when they came back from battle, they created a song because David had become famous. And the song went something like this. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. The man who wasn't invited to the party, who was a shepherd, who killed the Philistine, then became a general, is now rising to the position to inherit a kingdom. There's one obstacle in the way though, and we all know it, it's Saul. Saul wants to kill him. David has to flee. And I think it's during one of the times like this when he writes Psalms 139. And he says in verse 17 and 18, every single moment he's speaking to God, you are thinking of me. This is out of the Passion Translation. I love it. Every single moment you are thinking of me. How precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me 
constantly in every thought, O God. Your desires towards me are more than the grains of sand on every shore. When I awake each morning, you're still with me. I don't believe that it was during one of his triumphant battles that he actually penned this after seeing victory. I think it was when David was actually facing the adversary that wanted to destroy him named Saul that he had to stir himself up and remind himself of what God says about him regardless if men don't esteem him and want to take his life. Because I said, this is the story of a father. I was thinking about something last week as I was driving home. The thought came to me and I meditated on it all this week. But the thought came to me. In Scripture, it never refers to an individual as the bride of Christ or the body of Christ. It says we're members of the body, but it never calls an individual the bride of Christ. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. And then in Revelations 21.9, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of seven plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. He's right into the church at Rome. And then when the angel is actually, who's talking with John in the book of Revelations, he says, Come here, I'll show you the Lamb's wife. In both instances, it's not referring to an individual as the bride because corporately, we're the body and corporately, we're the bride. Individually, it addresses us as children. Corporately, yes, we are the bride of Christ. Individually, the scripture addresses us as children. 2 Corinthians 6, 18. I'm going to go through these fast. So, I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In both of these scriptures, it refers to us as children. In both of the previous scriptures, it referred to us as the bride of Christ. You say, Steve, well, why is that important? Because in our covenant with God, we became one with Christ in God. Because our covenant is written in the blood of Jesus. And when we accepted Jesus, we made covenant with him. All of a sudden that covenant brought us into a relationship that produced a new birth and we've become children. Once we become children, it speaks to us as brides corporately, individually as children, 
And then relationally, the scripture talks about us as siblings. I got two more scriptures for you. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he that sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Corporately, we are the bride. Individually, we are children. Relationally, siblings. God actually deals with us as siblings, co-heirs with Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Because when we made covenant with God, we actually became the bride as far as the body is concerned. We belong to him and he belongs to us. During the new birth, we became children. Amen. Possessors of an inheritance of equal share. Relationally, I've become a sibling. I am actually a brother to the Lord Jesus and a child to my Father. But Jesus also belongs to me and I belong to Him. You also belong to Him, but guess what? Because you're the bride, you also belong to me. I belong to you. The members of the body are not supposed to be separate because the members of the body make up the bride. (laughs) We make up the bride. And as I was thinking about that last week and throughout the week this week, I was saying, okay, Lord, if, if... Everything is all-compassing from the covenant of being a bride to being a child to being a sibling. Everything revolves around family. Everything revolves around family. And, And it seems like you're trying to speak to me relationally to have me understand something that I haven't really seen before. And it got me on the whole path of the difference of religion versus relationship. Because religion will always try to conform you unto a theology. You remember watching that? You might be a redneck. If here's your sign. You guys remember that? (laughs) Well, you might have a religious spirit. If (laughs) here's your sign. (laughs) If somebody who differs in theology with you becomes less than you. Because religion will always try to conform you to theology. It can never introduce you to who it knows. It can only introduce you to what it believes. Someone who is walking in a relationship with the Lord, it's not about what we know. We're not trying to introduce you to what we know, but rather who we know. Because regardless of what you know, who we know can actually change what you know. Theology isn't an area of contention with someone who's walking in a relationship with the Father. You don't have to believe like me. 
that's fine. You don't have to believe like me, but do you know who I know? Because He's great. He actually loves us. I'm going to share some stuff. This is my own personal belief. Whether you accept it or reject it, that's fine. We could have been filled with an angel. God could have filled humanity with an angel. We call that demon possession when somebody's filled with an angel because it's perverted against the design that God actually created for humanity. See, I believe from the garden, we were always supposed to be filled with the Spirit of God. It wasn't something that just happened after the fall and God said, well, you know, now that they're spiritually dead, let's just put our spirit in them. You know, it makes sense now. No, I believe that place was always in humanity. I believe that Adam cut the work short when he sinned and they got kicked out of the garden because God was just walking with them at that time. But I believe that God always wanted to live in us. He always wanted to make His home with us. There's a day where we will be permanently home in our residence in heaven, but right now, God doesn't like separation. He doesn't want separation. He said, I can put my spirit in each one of them so that me and them, we will never be separate again. Because separation was never on the heart of God because God's the best father ever. Everything that he created in the earth is for humanity. The only thing that he created for himself is us. That's amazing, ain't it? That we're actually children of God? Yes. That's why David would say, every single moment you are thinking of me. I want everyone to close your eyes right now, please. And I want you to think a thought that God thinks about you. It says in the book of, I think it's 2 Corinthians, that if a man thinks he knows something, he knows nothing yet as he ought. But the one who loves God is known by God. Let me ask you a question. Do you love God? If you love God, you're known by God. Let me ask you another question. How do you know that you love God? You know, there was times, I mean, I absolutely loved my parents, but I didn't listen to a thing they said. I loved them, didn't listen to a thing they said. What's the measuring stick for whether you love God or not? Because the majority of religion would tell you if you're doing certain things, then it proves to me that you love God. Who cares what anybody else thinks? That's the thing. The one that gave you birth, he knows you. It's not based upon what we do or don't do. He knows you. Do you love him? If you do, you're known by him. He knows you. Just by loving Him. What if you're messing up and you want to follow the Lord, but it just seems like you keep falling on your face? Does it diminish your love for Him? No, like I said, there was times I've always loved my parents, but I didn't listen to a thing they said. My parents' love for me did not diminish because of the things I was doing. 
If anything, it came to the forefront because of their concern for me. Because the things that I was actually involved in had the potential to hurt me. Their love for me didn't diminish because of what I did. My love for them didn't diminish because of what I did. The scripture says that God knows us. He calls us children. He's actually referred to us as the bride. And relationally, Jesus is speaking to us as siblings. The work of Jesus is finished. The work of God is not because he's still working through the Holy Spirit in the earth. The only reason why the Holy Spirit's still in the earth is because his job's not done yet. He took the finished work of Jesus, then applied it to us. It's been finished for us as well. But now we enter into the Lord's rest and the work that we do, we now do through the Holy Spirit, not through our self-efforts in order to show people that we love God or even gain a position in God. See, someone operating in the spirit of religion, if you don't agree with them, it always causes an area of contention. Because religion operates through agreement. Someone walking in a relationship with God and you disagree with them, it actually doesn't cause contention. It actually should cause compassion. Compassion says that I'm willing to go with you even though we don't agree. I'm willing to still treat you kind because Jesus loves you. And because Jesus loves you, I love you. I'm willing to go the extra mile with you even though you wouldn't go a mile with me. Not for what you have to give me, but what I have to give you. It's the difference of someone who is operating in a religious spirit versus someone who is actually walking in the love of God because we've been established in our relationship with Him. Insecurities in this position of relationship, they disappear. They don't exist. Because all of a sudden, I'm not concerned about what other people think about me. Whether you like me, whether you don't like me, I've come to like myself because the Father loves me. Yeah, because He loves me, I can actually love myself now. I'm not on a scale split into different parts of my life and sometimes my bad outweighs my good or my good outweighs my bad. All my bad was put on Christ and all the good I have came from God. Anything good in my life, it's come from the Father. My children, my wife, any health that I have, I give attribute to God because without Him, I wouldn't even be who I am. Jesus is what made the difference in my life. But I don't live with guilt, shame, or condemnation, stress, or anything else. If something bad happened in my week, I promise I won't show up. Here, beat up. You won't see it. Only one or two people would ever see me beat up, and it would probably be my wife and Mark. Maybe my mom. My mom would be in there. Maybe my brother. My cousin Jesse. Jamie. But it would only last for a moment. I don't stay defeated. I can't. This hope I have actually encourages me to believe, to press into God, to see more than what I've seen, to be more than what I've been. 
Amen. Like the Apostle Paul, I can forget those things which are behind me. I can press on to those things which are ahead for a prize. Even though I trip seven times in the race, it don't make any difference because every time I choose to get back up, I'm never disqualified in the race. Religion will disqualify you. But when you know God is a father, you realize that every qualification that we ever needed to be brought into sonship was already paid before we were ever born. It's amazing, ain't it? That this gospel of the kingdom of God was given to me freely. Receiving Jesus costs you absolutely nothing. Costs you nothing to receive Jesus. It's a free gift. But there's always a price to be paid to give him away. There's always a price to pay to give him away. It's going to take your willingness just to partner with where the Holy Spirit actually is leading you. It always costs something to give him away. The gospel is absolutely free. But religion will teach you that the price that has to be paid in order to give Jesus away, it's going to come at your suffering. That you're going to have to finance what it takes to give Him away. Then why give us the Holy Spirit if we're going to have to pay for it? The deposit that cost you something to give away, He's actually already deposited in you. And it's the Holy Spirit. He's the one that gives birth inside of us to these desires that God has for our life. David said, if I was to number your thoughts about me, Lord, they would outnumber the sand that's on the seashore. And we know the Lord said to Jeremiah, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans are purposes that develop through thought. God knows the plans He has for you. The direction He desires your life to go. You won't find it through obeying a list of rules in order to step into destiny. You were created for destiny. You're not looking for it. It's what you were created for. You were created to have genuine relationship with God where He could become your Father and you could become His child so that the work that we do in the earth, we get the opportunity to do it together with Him. Him working through us. See, someone who's walking in religion, it's always they won't violate their theology at all costs. They won't violate their theology. But someone who's actually walking in a relationship with God, we try not to violate love at all costs. I'm going to read through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. It says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous. It does not brag. It is not proud. Love is not rude. It is not selfish. And it cannot be made angry easily. Love does not remember wrongs done against it. Love is never happy when others do wrong, but is always happy with the truth. Love never gives up on people, never stops trusting, never loses hope and never quits. Love will never end. 
And in the ERV, when he starts chapter 14, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says that love should be the pursuit of your life. What conveys the Father most to a fallen world is not our belief system. He didn't say that all men will know you're my disciples because you agree on theology. He said that the people in the world will know that you're my disciples because of the way you love each other. Not because of the way that we believe. Just because we don't agree on theology, it makes no difference. Because you were born for a reason. There's no accidents in the kingdom of God. You're not looking for destiny. You were created for it. When we were born again, we were born again with purpose. And the purpose is not so that we can become servants. I didn't say, hey, Heather, you know, I'm kind of tired of cleaning up around here. You know, can we have some kids that could, maybe if you would be willing to bear some kids for us, you know, they make some good servants. <laughs> you know, you might have to take care of them for the first three or four years, but I, after the first three or four years, I think they'd be able to serve us pretty good, Heather. What do you think about that? No. Well, no for me, but I'm just joking. She's the best mama I know. I spend most of my days cleaning up after my children. They make messes, and I'm like, makes me mad. Come in there, same wrapper, same place as it was yesterday. You know, I want to be like Jesus in the temple, make a court, you know, premeditated, start flipping TVs, you know. <laughs> Drive them out of my house. <laughs> In reality, it's actually my pleasure to take care of them. It is. Started a new job, and uh, man, just trying to find the time to clean the house. Me and Heather. Mark was like, You got to put those kids to work. They're old enough now. And I said, Yeah, we're going to get a, a chore sheet, we're going to write the law. <laughs> They're going to obey the commandments. <laughs> you get grace when you go to church. <laughs> oh, no. But I do. I spend most of the time taking care of them. Even when they make messes, Faithy will come in, have this popsicle all over her face, hands all sticky, touching everything, and you just clean it up. And you know, after the mess is gone, there's no trace of it. I can look at a clean house. It's my house. Do they not become my children because they make messes after I told them not to? No. It's impossible for them not to be mine because I gave them birth. God is the God of life, not the God of death. If you made a mess in your life, it does not matter because God can clean it up and make it as if it had never happened. He's the God of life. He's not going to kill you. He's not going to say, I don't want you in my family anymore. He's going to say, I already knew what you were like before I ever, ever accepted you. That's what he says to us. I already knew what you were like. 
But I already knew what I was like. He didn't have us so that we can be good servants. He didn't give us His Son to die upon a cross, a horrible death. He didn't give us His Son so that we could serve Him. He gave us His Son because He loves us. We're the object of His affection. Right now, with every one of my faults, with everything you don't like about me, God says that that one's mine. God says that other people might not have picked you, but I chose you. Your brothers might have rejected you, but I chose you. He's created us with destiny, Gary. He's called us with purpose. It's not about religion. He's invited us to a relationship that I can know Him. And like I said, anyone who loves God, God knows you. Your love isn't evident by the things you do. Like I said, my parents still loved me and I still love them and I didn't listen to a thing they said. Well, Steve, are you telling people, you know, not to listen to God or their parents? No. But is there going to be times where you don't listen to God? Let me help you. Yes, there will be. Why? Maybe because of fear? Maybe because you thought you could do it better? After you go ahead and do what you're going to do, you'll realize that His way was the best way to do it. The mess is clean and everything's okay because God still loves you. What can separate us from the love of God? Demons can't do what the Apostle Paul said. He said going naked or hungry can't separate us from that. Angels that are in heaven can't separate us from God's love. That's why he said, I am fully persuaded that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which we have experienced, experienced in Christ. We're going to actually uh, go to Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 11. The prodigal son. I don't know why they named it the, the prodigal son. It's actually, when I was preparing the message, that's why I said... Uh, I was going to talk about religion versus relationship, but it, it all ties in because it's actually the story of a father. And they call it the prodigal son because the prodigal son has become the focus in this story. Maybe rightfully so because he came back, but also there was another son that stayed there. And it's not the story of the prodigal son, it's actually the story of a father with two sons that never understood who he was. Luke fifteen eleven. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. Even the story starts out about the father. <laughs> there was a man, and this man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that belongs to me. And he divided his property between them. There was only one son that asked for the inheritance. But because of the goodness of the father, he wasn't going to give one son his rightful share of the inheritance and not his other son the rightful share of the inheritance. So he divided what he owned while he was still alive to his two boys because he loved them. Not because he had to. 
He didn't have to until he died. He didn't have to give them anything. But because of the one son's desire to leave, the father went ahead and gave him his, and then he went ahead and gave the eldest too, his brother, the same share of his possessions. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he spent everything he had gotten in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I'm sitting here dying because I have nothing to eat. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He knew the character of his father, even to the measure that he actually dealt with servants. That his servants he actually still took care of and cared for. He said, how much of my father's hired servants have food for themselves and then that left over because the character of his father was good. He said, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. That compassion there's almost like a love that's inside of you that can't be quenched. He felt compassion towards this son who took his property before he died and went and spent it up. And he's seen him a far way off. And I imagine that's how God sees us when we're still a far way off from where we're supposed to be. He sees us walking down that road all alone. Because the way that we chose to do it doesn't work. I like it that in this story, there's no, why did you leave? There's no, you should have knew better than this. There's no, why are you even here anyway? Where's my stuff? There's none of that. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. It didn't take the son getting all the way back to the father before the father ran to him. All it took was the son recognizing the goodness of his father. As soon as the son was traveling down the road to where his father was, his father seen him and he didn't say, I'll wait till he gets here and then I'll hug him. He didn't say, sit down here now, boy, we need to have a talk. He's seen him a far way off. He could have went and got the older brother and said, come in the house here. Your brother that we thought was dead, here he comes. Didn't do that either. Doesn't this remind you of what Jesus said when one sheep 
out of a hundred goes astray? That He leaves the ninety-nine to go after the one? And He searches till He finds it? That means that until He gets what belongs back to Him, even though His sheep went astray, He won't stop looking. It says He searches till He finds it. Because it's His sheep, even if it went astray. It's still His. It still belongs to Him. And the Son said to Him, verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before You. I am no longer worthy to be called Your Son. But the Father said to His servant, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on Him. And put a ring on His hand and shoes on His feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. What's amazing to me, that the father puts him right in the position he had before he left, regardless of what he did. Isn't that amazing? I found that amazing. Why? Because God's love for us does not diminish based upon what we do. It never diminishes because it's who we belong to. That we actually matter. We're not looking for destiny. We were created for it. We were created to impact the world around us. We were created to change our environment. It's what we were born again to do. Pressure comes upon us to try to get us to perform to be something that we already are. This is what I was made for. I was made to do this. There's no pressure on me to preach. This is what I was made for. I was made to do this. Amen. I was made to be a father. Not a failing father, but a good father. Have I failed at times in areas of fathering? Yeah. But I don't give up because it's what I was made for. I exercise the gifts of the Holy Spirit that create in me something that I never had outside of Him. And that's the ability to be patient, the ability to be kind, the ability to walk in forgiveness, the ability to believe even though everything else looks hopeless. Because it's the reason that we have this Holy Spirit inside of us is so that we can be what we were always intended to be. Not do, but be. Not perform, but work out. Not looking to, as far as I got to somehow obtain this. But no, resting. Resting in a position of righteousness that declares me right with the Father because He's good, not because I'm good. I have no reason to boast in my own goodness. No reason at all. You could say, Steve, you seem like a great person, but the person that you see is only because of God. It's because this is what He created me for. When I was born again, I was made for this. You were made to walk hand in hand with the Father. You were created to know Jesus. You were actually created to have the Holy Spirit fill you. 
Sometimes we struggle in our relationship to know Him because we think it's on our Bible reading and we think it's about the time we pray. And we think that maybe if I do these things, I'll get to know Him better. And those things help you know Him, yes. But He's the one who said, come. He's the one who said that. He said, come. If my parents want to give me something, I promise you, I will never tell them I am not worthy to receive that. But we do that with God all the time. Eight years ago, my parents got some money from a settlement with the VA, and they bought our furniture plus some. Our furniture was like $2,500 at the time. I didn't say to them, I'm not worthy of that. I don't deserve that. I wasn't thinking about what I did for them. They're my parents. I expect them to be good to me. Am I demanding it? No, I didn't even ask for it. But somehow we think that, well, we're going to get something from God based upon what we've done. And then, you know, all these thoughts come, well, Lord, I need this. But then all these thoughts of deficiency come and you think that, well, you know, I haven't really been doing everything that I think I should be doing. What if we actually lived peaceable and quiet lives like the Apostle Paul said? What if we focused on raising our family? are focused on our marriages, are focused on establishing our relationship with a neighbor that where they could actually trust you? What if it wasn't about the, all these exterior things that we try to do? What if it wasn't about handing out tracts or food pantries or any of that? I mean, they're great. I love them. Thank God for them. But what if our time was invested in knowing Him? then everything that's produced in our life would come from a position of knowing Him, not to get to know Him. He's our Father. He wants to give us good things. But if you disqualify yourself because you're not worthy, guess what? None of us are. That's where that mentality comes where people say, well, God would do that for you because you're a preacher. But he wouldn't do that for me. He's not my father like he is yours now. Come on. It's a mentality that has to be broken in the body of Christ because until we see him as good, we can't see ourselves as. That's why I asked you to close your eyes and picture what God would say to you, his thoughts about you. And if they weren't good, they weren't him. They're the voice coming from yourself that came from another spirit at some time in your life that tried to sell you a lie of something that you weren't. Because when God bought you, He placed the value on you. Nobody can take that from you. And what if you say, I don't want this value placed on me. You know, I don't think I'm that valuable. It's already been paid. What are you going to do? And it's like people think like, well, you know, I'm not living up to God's standards. God already knew, like I said, your failures. He's not going to come and say, you know what? I didn't really know what you guys were like before I died. But, you know, I kind of want my blood back. (laughs) Can't happen. It's already been shed. You've already been forgiven. If you've been born again, there's nothing you can do about it now. You're already in the family. You can act like you're not in the family. You can hate the rest of the family. It's only affecting you. You're already in the family of God. God already loves you. You're not going to get any more of the love of God. You're not. 
all of his love was directed towards us while we were yet sinners. But then we get saved and we come under this freedom that we found in Christ. Everything feels new. And then it's like brick by brick by brick by brick. We start building the old house again of performance because of these teachings that get put on us. So allowing us to walk in freedom, religion can't do it. It's always trying to conform you. Jesus is always trying to free you. That you can know him in every season of your life. That you can trust him. Last week, me and Faith are in the car. We're driving down the road. I'm going about, I'm not sure, but I'm probably going close to the speed limit, maybe 30 miles an hour. The car is coming this way, about the same. And she swerves right in front of me and hits us straight on. It totaled both cars. And I'm like, man. And as soon as we hit, Faithy grabs her stomach from the seatbelt and starts crying, saying her stomach hurt. And I said, you're fine. In the name of Jesus, sit back. Sit back. And I, Because I was, I was shook up a little bit. And I get out of the car. I open her door. She gets out and she's fine. But it wasn't no 20-minute prayer. It just simply was, you're fine. In the name of Jesus, sit back. That's it. I was telling Mark, I said, you know, I don't understand why something like that happened. I have no idea. I said, you know, uh, is the Lord going to have to have an employee meeting once this day is over and say, hey, the angels that were supposed to stand guard over me, were they sleeping? Do you know, do you guys have to have a meeting or something at the end of this day? Not everything goes perfect in all of our lives. You would never know that if I didn't tell you that. Because I'm not beat up. I'm not stressed out. I don't get bothered like that. Things don't bother me. They don't. Sometimes maybe it's not a blessing because I should be bothered. I don't know. I just actually believe God causes all things to work together for those who love Him, who were called according to His purpose. Father, You called me according to Your purpose and You love me. All things work together for my good. Stuff like that isn't a question of God's love for me. If you're rooted in religion, all of a sudden you'll think that God's favor isn't towards you anymore. All of a sudden you'll start looking for what you did wrong. All of a sudden you, you might think God did that to you to teach you something. What do people learn from stuff like that? How not to trust God? What are you going to learn? How you thought you could trust him and then, I guess not. Look, I was in an accident there. Theology doesn't even make sense. It doesn't. You know what makes perfect sense? The goodness of God. Because I shouldn't even be here. I shouldn't be here as from years ago. My kids shouldn't be here. I shouldn't have anything I have. And if the enemy tries destroying something or touching something in my life, God said that it'll turn out for my good and His glory. I don't have to stay up late at night worrying about something that's out of my control. I say this because you don't have to stay up late at night worrying about stuff that's out of your control. You can actually give it to God and put your trust in Him that this will work out for your good and His glory. I was telling this to a guy at work and I said, look, our ability to destroy something is not greater than God's ability to fix it. 
There's nothing that we destroy in our lives that God can't fix. Nothing. There's nothing the devil can destroy in your life that God can't fix. Nothing. But God's ability to redeem something is so great that when the enemy tries to touch us, because everything always works out for our good, God's ability to redeem it is greater than the enemy's ability and our ability to destroy it. People say that must have been God. No, that's how big God is. That I can't break this. Any situation I'm in in life, God's able to redeem it. Why? Because whoever touches me touches the apple of God's eye. I actually believe that. I really do. Well, Steve, that's pretty arrogant. No, because you're the apple of his eye too. But we have to see ourselves like this. So, he tells the servant to kill the fattened calf. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. Verse 24. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now, picking up in verse 25. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him, What do these things mean? And the servant said to him, Your brother has come. And your father killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But when the older brother heard this, he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. The older son was angry and would not go into the party. So his father went out and begged him to come in. But he said to his father, look, for all these years, I have worked like a slave for you. I have always done what you told me to do when you never gave me even a young goat to have a party with my friends. But then this son of yours comes home and after wasting your money on prostitutes, you kill the best calf for him. His father said to him, Oh, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But this was a day to be happy and celebrate. Your brother was dead, but now is alive. He was lost, but now he is found. See, the prodigal son understood the character of his father. The older son understood the expectations of his father. Perceived expectations. His older son said, I have served you like a servant all these years. The father's reply wasn't congratulating him on his well-done service. The oldest son didn't realize that the stuff he was doing, he wasn't doing for his father anymore. He was actually doing for himself. You say, well, how does that make sense? The father divided everything that he owned and gave it to both sons. That's why he said, everything I have is yours. But everything the oldest son had was only because everything that the father's was his. And then now, everything that was the oldest son's was the father's as well. Both of these boys understood a different aspect of their father. The oldest thought he was serving him. I served you for all these years and you never gave me anything. 
That's because everything that the father has was already his. He could have took a goat and had a party at any time. But he thought that he was a servant. The youngest one thought that his newfound freedom would bring joy. But at the end of it, he ended up right back at the place he started, looking to the goodness of his father. But neither one of these boys understood his heart. To the one who left, his heart was that he would come home. To the one who stayed, his heart was that everything I have is yours. I've already given it to you. Before I end today, I was driving here, just spending time with the Lord, and I believe inside of me, he said, not the audible voice of God, I've never heard the audible voice of God. I mean, I desire to, but I never heard it. When I say I heard the voice of God, it doesn't make me more spiritual than you in any way, shape, or form. I just recognize that the voice of God sounds like me, but says stuff I wouldn't say. <laughs> Especially when he says, don't do that. And I'm like, Lord, I was just saying that I should. Are you sh-? I'm not sure that's God. <laughs> but he said, tell my people, I'm coming with power. And he said, I'll fill every hungry heart. Whether you accept that or not, I just did what I believed, what he wanted me to do, tell my people. He said, prepare them. I'm coming with power. And he said, I'll fill every hungry heart. Amen? So remember, he's your father today. He is your father. I'm not your father, I'm your brother. (laughs) He's not fat, he's my brother. (laughs) Allow yourself to be loved. Told my mom this week, I said, Your love for me, so you love me in every season of my life. I said, Your love for me is not greater than the Father's love for you. See, she loves me. She would die for me. Even when I was being stupid, she would have died for me. She might have, you know, tried hurting me before she died. But your love for your children is not greater than the Father's love for you. Your love for your parents isn't greater than the Father's love for you. A lot of us are coming to a place in life where God is wanting to redirect us in our approach to the way that we spend time with Him. Because a lot of us, we used to spend time in order to do Study for a message because I got to preach. I pray because I need to do something. I think he's redirecting that. Because now he's actually inviting us. I don't want you to do anything, but come and learn of me. What I have to give you is greater than anything that you could offer me. I'm not looking for what you can offer. God literally wants to fellowship with us. Have you ever been alone with somebody you really, really love and you just want to spend time with them, whether a family member, whether a, a wife and a husband? You just, you just want some alone time just because you love that person. and you, you just want that time of intimacy where you can connect. That's the Father with us. 
He just wants that time of intimacy where we can connect. We actually can feel him like I do. Faithy, she'll sit on my lap, you know, we'll be watching TV and I'll just rub her, her head right by her hairline. She'll sit there until I kick her off. Because there's something about just resting in the presence of the Father. You don't really have to say anything. You can just be aware. God inside conscious that God, you live inside of me. You live in here. I'm going to take some time and I'm going to spend it with you. The way that I find to spend with the Lord, I, I read the Bible every day. I love the Word. I don't do it religiously. It's not anything to do with religion. I don't have to be to work till 6 o'clock. I get up at 3.30 every morning. Not because I feel it's my obligation, just because I want to spend time with the Lord. It's not because I have to preach. I don't preach but every third week. I don't even start studying until a message the majority of time, to be honest with you, till Sunday morning. This week was different. I don't spend time with God so that I can somehow use Him to get His will done. I don't think He likes that. I don't think He likes that at all. I think He just wants me to know Him. Amen. So Father, I just ask You that each person here, Father, that I know that You're calling us to a deeper intimacy I know that you want to reveal yourself to this generation like never before, Father. I know, Father, that there hasn't been a generation yet that has embraced what you, your original design for what you wanted, that they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. Father, let this generation be that generation where not only we know you, but our kids and their kids know you. That we don't have to teach every man his neighbor saying, Know the Lord. Father, I ask you to touch this generation, mark this generation in such a way, in such a way that hearts and lives would just be transformed into the image that you've already created them to be in. And I just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.